Welcome everyone to our featured podcast on thought leadership with Dr. Ray McKinley. Dr. McKinley is an expert on leadership and character development. Let's join the conversation now. Hello everyone, this is Ray McKinley. Welcome to Ride the Elephant Today, our weekly podcast. We're excited about you being here. I'm particularly excited about having a guest. Marissa Mackey is with us today. And we're going to talk a little bit about the seventh dichotomy and what motivates us. And Marissa, you know, one of the things I've come to recognize is that when I am on what I call the motivation side of the seven dichotomies, I have a feeling that comes over me of being proud of myself that I've won the approval of other people. I recognize when I feel that way, it's a measurement of my pridefulness. And when I find myself feeling more humble, I'm really in the more inspired side of the motivation dichotomy. So what I'm really encouraging us to look at is when we look at our pridefulness, we're being more motivated by external forces, the approval of other people. And the antithesis of that is when we feel more humble, it's usually an indication that we're coming from a place of internal motivation, inspiration, total acceptance of ourself. And that feeling is really our measuring stick for checking in with how we are being in these situations that we find ourselves in. So what question comes to you, Marissa, when we talk about the difference between being prideful and being humble? Oh, that is a good question. I can see where you delineate between pridefulness and humility, where pride is, hey, look at me, look at what I've accomplished, look at how I meet your standard or your approval or what the world counts as success. When humility is more of an inspiration, like this is what my spirit is inspiring me to do. And I'm not doing this for the approval of others, but I'm doing it because it brings me self-fulfillment. I think it's very well said. A good way of looking at this is when we have these feelings of pridefulness, we have a need to tell everyone about our success. That's one of my measuring sticks. When I find myself needing to tell other people about what I've done, you know, look what I did this, I've accomplished this, I've accomplished that, to make ourselves look good. And so that we win the approval of other people. And so we can find ourselves being boastful and haughty and arrogant. And I would say this was a big piece for me, Marissa. I know you might think of me being arrogant even today. There was a time when I was quite conceited, quite full of myself, quite arrogant. And I realized that that wasn't working for me at all. And I realized how much I was addicted to the approval of other people and the opinion of other people. And the opinion of other people had of me defined me. And it took me a long time to recognize that I was really not very comfortable with that because what I found was by doing that, I was depending on other people and I was looking for their praise. And when I got it, I was willing to take the credit and say, yeah, look at me, aren't I great? And I think 
I really shifted from a place where I feel more satisfied with what I've set out to do. And when I set out to do something for my own reasons, I feel accomplished in those reasons. Instead of feeling prideful in the need to tell everyone about it, I just feel satisfied. I feel accomplished. I feel like, wow, that was a goal I set for myself and I achieved it. It feels really good. And I think one of the key things is you start to sense that you're delighted, you feel thankful, you feel grateful. And that's a different feeling than delighting in the approval and praise of others. I think gratitude is key to the difference between pride and humility, is the gratitude of what it took to accomplish that. Yeah, and the gratitude you have within yourself. And then recognizing the gratitude you have toward other people who have helped you get there. And I think my prideful nature was to take the credit and boast about that. My humble self says, I'm willing to give the credit. And when I think of that, I just think, well, I give my credit to my parents, my dad. I give my credit to my staff in the office. I give my credit to my patients. I give my credit to my family, my friends. And I give credit to God. So there's a huge difference for me between having a prideful nature versus a humble nature. Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting some of the things that I think a measuring stick again is look at how we receive appreciation. Okay, let's look at that for a second. When you receive appreciation from somebody, what do you have a tendency to do? It depends. I mean, sometimes I will just say thank you. Sometimes I feel unworthy of it. So in a manner that I think is being humble, you're like, oh, no. Like, I almost reject that, but it's not actually being humble by trying to deflect that. Being humble is not diminishing yourself to say exactly. you're not worthy of it. That's uh, another form of pridefulness. Another form of pridefulness. So explain that to me. I mean, I think most people think of pridefulness as that haughty feeling puffed up. Look at me. I'm so special. But I think it can also be prideful to diminish and be like, oh, no, no, no. Like, don't look at me. Don't. Like, that's another form of you're still focusing on yourself Mm -hmm. when you are trying to deflect what other people say about you. So diminishing yourself is not being humble or saying, oh, don't worry about it. No, no. When you're given appreciation, don't blow it off and just say thank you Mm -hmm. and accept it. There's a quote. I want to say it's C.S. Lewis, but I could be wrong about the person who quoted it, but it says humility is not, thinking less of yourself, but is thinking of yourself less. Yes, I've heard that quote as well. I think it is C.S. Lewis. I think that's perfect. And thinking of yourself less doesn't mean you're thinking less of yourself. Another way of saying it. And I think that's key. One of the things that I've noticed is a side effect of this pridefulness that exists because we really have focused more recently on raising kids and making them feel special. You know, you know, we've talked about that before. 
We want everyone to feel special. When you ask kids today, do they feel special? Yes, they feel special. And of course, the reason they feel special is because we've told them every way under the sun that they're special and that has been a focus of our child rearing tendencies in the last couple generations for sure. And one of the things that I've found is that this pridefulness leads to a sense of entitlement. How does entitlement tie into a prideful nature? I think with entitlement is that they believe that they deserved it, not based off of any merit of earning or doing the work that it takes to earn that accomplishment, but they deserve it just based off of who they are. And well, of course people are going to give this to me. Of course people are going to treat me this way without earning that respect putting in the hard work to be able to receive that success. You know, I have been hiring young people for 50 years now in my business. And it's very interesting what I've experienced over that 50 year period in the nature of the prospective employee. The new coworker of today is not the coworker that I had 30, 40 years ago. Of course, we all hear that and say, okay, this generation isn't as great as the last generation or this generation is not this and not that. And, you know, our previous generation was better. And, you know, putting all that aside, what I have noticed is the younger people I'm interviewing today come in with an expectation. They come in with feeling they have a right to a paycheck. They have a right to a job. And they have a right to a status in the organization that's elevated beyond their experience. You know, and I think most people who have been in business for as many years as I have would say that this has been a huge shift in what we're dealing with as we bring in the new generation into the workforce. Is this, they feel they deserve it. They want the best without having to go through the process of earning it. They don't want to wait to go through the exercise of climbing up the corporate ladder or learning what they need to learn. They come in thinking they already know and they want to do it their way because they never like being told no. And the other thing that we find is many times they feel that the rules don't apply to them. They come in and think the rules should be different for them because they're special. It's interesting to me because one of the side effects of that belief is that when things don't go well, they're easily disappointed. They are easily saddened. They easily get hurt. They fall into a state of depression. And as a manager and as a boss, I find myself always having to lift them up, always having to throw them a carrot or throw them an accolade or give them some recognition to keep them spurred on or keep their interest because if you don't feed their need for approval, they end up being disappointed or feeling like they're not worthy or they don't feel valuable and they end up just going away. So we end up coddling these new employees at a level that I've never experienced in the past. What's your thought about that, being a millennial yourself? (laughs) Have you seen this play out yourself and how does it apply to you? I can see how that happens. I want to know, do you think that there's a lack of affirmation? Because I know you've talked about 
the difference between affirmation and approval. You can affirm someone for their being without praising them for their doing. And what do you think the role of affirmation is? Well, I think that's a great question. And I, the reason it's a great question is because it's been the lack of affirming a person's character, affirming their effort, affirming their intention. Because we know as bosses, we know as parents that we stumble all along mm -hmm. the way. Employees stumble, kids stumble, we stumble. And we are forgiving and we are accepting of that stumbling. As long as we see that there's an effort and there's striving and their intention was in the right place, they just didn't have all the tools to get it done right. So by affirming people, affirming their character, affirming their effort, affirming their being is an important aspect of lifting them up and causing them to have a higher level of esteem, a level of self-respect. And I think that's one of the things that we can do as parents is to affirm our children. And one of the things we can do as employees, particularly with this younger generation, is affirm them for their being, not so much praising them for their doing. There's a huge difference there. And I think we as employees have dropped the ball on that. But I think it's partly because it started with the parents. You know, parents kind of set the stage for it. And it has dumped this entitled generation onto the workforce that we have now had to find ways to work with. And many corporations like, you know, Apple and Amazon and some of these corporations have all these benefits for younger generations because their workforce is under the age of 35 and they have rooms where they can go and relax and take time off. You know, they coddle to the needs of that new employee instead of really affirming their character and affirming their intentions. And I think that's missing. And we need to get back to that place where we are expecting our employees and our kids to meet our approval. And we want that, but we more importantly want them to feel accepted. We want them to have a high level of esteem. And I think one of the things that I've always focused on is what can I do to create an esteem building experience for the individual? Yeah. So what is an esteem building experience as you would understand it to be? And maybe explain that a little bit. I think an esteem building experience is something that challenges an individual to show them that they are able to accomplish something because of their being. And by overcoming that challenge, they are able to build a level of self-respect by seeing, hey, like I put in this effort and it wasn't just given to me, like I had to work for it. And because I see what I'm capable of because I worked for that, I'm able to respect myself for that and have a higher esteem because I see what I'm able to accomplish when I set a goal and am inspired within my spirit to accomplish that goal and achieve that true success. You mentioned that a couple of times that it connects to my spirits. How does a person who is struggling with approval addiction, struggling with being disappointed in their life when they don't get approval and even being in a place 
where they get depressed because they aren't receiving the approval of others. How would you suggest someone tap into what's in their spirit to bring about a more humble, more accepting, more esteem building experience for themselves? Yeah, it's definitely not easy. (laughs) It's something that I struggle with personally. I know that I definitely struggle with seeking the approval of others and being a people pleaser and being motivated by external forces. And every day I'm working more towards inspiration and living to accept myself rather than getting the approval of others. But I think it comes from self-reflection and spending time asking yourself questions of like, what do I believe? What brings me joy? What brings me fulfillment? What are the beliefs and the values and the principles that are me and not what others expect of me, but who am I and what inspires me? We've been talking before about really getting clear on what your core beliefs are. I've talked about this on previous podcasts of how important a values clarification is and really knowing what's most important to you. And sometimes we just go along with the crowd and just do what everyone else expects of us. And we just want their approval that we abrogate our own beliefs and our own values because what we value most is the approval of others. Mm -hmm. And that can be an empty vessel because when that approval doesn't come your way, it can be a lonely moment. And not just a lonely moment, but a lonely week or month or year or life. Yes. So I think it's really important that I always feel it comes back to that and have to say, okay, what's most important? And then when I talk about values clarification, I'm basically saying, what's the most important thing to you? What fills up your vessel? What's that mean? And it has nothing to do with anybody else evaluating you and approving of you or having expectations of you. Unless you give them that authority because of your own inspiration to depend on that approval can be a very empty vessel, as we said. So getting values clarification is important. And then going down to core beliefs that we have about ourselves and what we really want in our life. You know, this kind of reminds me of two terms that I find always come up in this kind of conversation. And it's the word wish and the word hope. And I find that people throw these words around interchangeably and can say, I wish this, I hope this, I hope that. like they mean the same thing. And I find that very interesting that people see those words as meaning the same thing. If you really do a research on those two words, they don't mean the same thing. They're dramatically different. And I think recognizing the difference of those two can really be a breaking point or a linchpin or a missing piece in getting this understanding. So when you think of wishing and hoping, what do you see as the difference being between the two? Have you seen them being the same in the past? Do you see them as being different? I've seen how people can use them in the same way, but I can see how they're different as well because I think wishing is kind of grasping at thin air almost. Like, oh, well, I wish this would happen. I wish I would win the lottery. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, it's something that there isn't substance to it. 
it's kind of just almost nothingness. When hope, I feel like there's some kind of strong foundation. I mean, for me, when I envision hope, I think of that anchor that's securely planted. And hope is coming from a place of faith. And if you know what your beliefs and your values are, and you are secure in whatever it is that you have faith in, that you are able to have hope that is grounded in that faith versus wishful thinking that is kind of just nothingness. You know, that's very interesting because you brought up the word faith and to me it's very difficult to understand these dichotomies unless we recognize that the red side of the dichotomy, the side that we're trying to break our habitual pattern from is so fear-based where the blue side, which is the side we're trying to strive for, where we're intending to make a shift, is more faith-filled. So it's to me, we either tend to be fear-filled or we tend to be faith-filled. And I think it's really important to recognize that because fear and faith go together. If you have a strong faith, your fear disappears. If you have a strong fear, your faith seems to disappear. They seem to be on this continuum, and where you fall on that depends on how your life is going at any particular time. It also determines if you're more prideful or more humble. It also determines where you are in your motivation. Are you more motivated or are you more inspired? Or more faith-filled is more inspired, where fear-based is more motivated because you're motivated to win the approval of others because you fear rejection. You fear losing that approval. And I think we always look when we try to understand these dichotomies of where's the starting point? Where's the point where the rubber meets the road? Where do we start seeing the shift? I've kind of always thought of it this way. I'll kind of go through it and see what you think about it. When I find myself being fear-filled instead of faith-filled, I fear rejection, I fear disapproval, as I said. So I try to conform because I'm afraid to stand alone. I look for validation from other people because it's not from within, it's from without. So other people need to validate me for my being and what I'm doing. And I become very wishful instead of being hopeful. I wish that things just appear or wish that they will be provided for me which again falls into the entitlement that we talked about earlier. And then when I find myself being more faith-filled, I find I trust that when my actions are rooted in good character, it produces the best outcome, even when I can't see how. That to me is like key. It's doing the right thing no matter what, even if there's a cost, even if you might lose your job, even if you might lose a relationship, even if you might offend somebody, you're doing the right thing, no matter what. And that to me is faithful because you're trusting that your character is going to produce the best outcome even when you can't see how. Yeah. And sometimes on the face value, it might not seem like it's the best, but in the end it is. So being faithful leads to more, I can trust myself, I feel more authentic. I have the courage to stand on my own. I have a sense of gratitude and I am more hopeful that the steps I will take will bring to me what I need 
and that my actions will produce the best result no matter what. So to me, there's a huge difference between being fear-filled versus faith-filled. So when I throw that dichotomy out and talk about this continuum of being on the fear side of that continuum versus the faith side of that continuum, what's your thinking about that? Do you see if that applies to you in your life? I like that visualization of the continuum and how a continuum is like you see a line that one end has fear, one end has faith. And oftentimes we're somewhere in the middle and it's a gradual sliding scale of sometimes we move down towards fear and sometimes we move up towards faith, but we are always growing and trying to climb up that continuum or that ladder of character towards what you call the blue side of being more faith-filled. And we can do a self-evaluation of how we are feeling and how we are responding to every situation in our life, whether it's with our family or coworkers or even ourselves. Am I reacting and responding in fear or am I reacting and responding in faith? That's a huge awareness to have for you and that you now see yourself on that continuum because for me that was key when I recognized that this is really a spectrum of the same emotional base, the same emotive words and emotive feelings that were going on in my mind and my heart just the overall feelings I had fell on this fear to faith continuum. And when I recognized that, the more I was on the fear side, the more I had to maybe do a self-evaluation, maybe ask myself some questions. What am I doing now in my life that's causing these fear feelings to come out? What am I not doing in my life right now that's not allowing the faith to come through and be expressed? And maybe there's an absence of faith. I remember one time I met with a counselor years ago when I was struggling through some challenges in my life. And he said to me, Ray, one of the things that I've recognized in you is you have a crisis of faith. And I was appalled by when he said that. In fact, I stood up and I said, I have more faith in my little finger than you have in your whole body. Now, that is an arrogant thing to say to a psychologist, wouldn't you say? Yes, very prideful. Yes. I mean, there was a time, so I understand what this is. And I look back at that over and over again as the epitome of my prideful nature, the epitome of a person I didn't want to be. And I really started to recognize that that was a missing piece. You know, when I talked to Brian last time, we talked about the 50 character words from character Mm -hmm. first. And I strongly recommend that somebody who's looking at their character and saying, well, what can I do to improve my character? Is go to character-training.com and you can get those words and definitions and it really helps you process it. And as I told people many times in this podcast, I said, I put these posters up in my office all over the place. And I remember first studying the character words as I'm asking all of you to consider doing. The one word I skipped over of the 50 words was the word faith because I just said, no, I don't have an issue with faith. I have more faith than anybody. But I realized how arrogant that was. And I finally came to recognize 
when I went through all 49 words, there was one word left. And I said, okay, I'll take a look at it. And I realized, wow, this was the word I need to spend time on, my absence of faith. I have two words in my office. One is determinations because I've been accused of being very determined to the point where I just push anything out of the way that gets in my way. So I'm like a human bulldozer and the poster has a bulldozer on it. So that word and that metaphor of a human bulldozer fit for me. And then the other poster I have up is the word faith. And so those are the two words in my office. So my continuum exists right behind me on my wall as we're sitting here today, Marissa, Mm -hmm. you can see both those words on the wall. So what do you think about those two words being on my wall behind me in the light of this conversation we're having? I think it's very interesting and I like how you have that reminder to yourself. I always appreciate when I'm in the office and seeing the different character words hanging up in the posters and choosing one that helps me. How am I being orderly today? How am I being joyful today? Am I being joyful today? How can I improve on that. And I feel like it is a visual to self-reflect and to question, do I have this character trait? How am I doing on it? And to challenge yourself to practice that and apply that and grow in it. Yeah. And that's what it took for me too, Marissa. It took putting those words out there and having them kind of slap me in the face. And that's kind of how I visualize it, because I need to be slapped in the face. I need to be thrown with a two by four. Like my therapist Chuck said years ago when he had a crisis of faith, and he really slapped me on the side of the head. I didn't accept it at the time. It took me a few years to figure out how right he was. However, when you put purposeful intention on making this shift, you will make the shift. For sure. And we're just mentioning some of the ways that we can do this. I think one of the things that I find that prevents us from making the transition, because I ask myself this question, what prevents me from making this transition? Why do I have this crisis of faith? What's that all about? So I start looking at what was the source of or what was holding me back or keeping me stuck. And that's what I call codependent relationships. You know, we have a tendency to surround ourselves with people and hang with people that keep us stuck because they have the same issues we have. So I found myself hanging with people who had a crisis of faith too, and that prevented me from breaking the pattern. And until I decided to change the group of people that I was hanging with, that really did I start to see a shift to make a difference. So what about codependency and your observation? Do you find that codependent relationships can keep us stuck and prevent us from making this transition of the continuum from the red side to the blue side. Oh, for sure. I mean, there's a saying that you become like the five people that you spend the most time with. So who you choose to do life with, who you choose to be in your circle of influence does determine where you're at and where you're going in your life. And if you continue to be with people who are codependent and you complain to each other and commiserate and you're both staying stuck in that misery or staying stuck in where you're at in life, 
you're not going to grow if you are in that codependency. You want people who are going to mentor you and encourage you to take those steps to heal and grow and transform into a better version of yourself. And when you are able to do that, you break free from those codependent relationships. And hopefully you can be that mentor and inspire those people to grow as well. But choosing who you have in your life and who you have in your sphere of influence determines the outcome of your life. Very much so. And I found that to be true for myself. You're blessed. You're younger than I am by a few years. And you have a lot of years left to go. And it took me a long time to really make this transition. Because I'm a pretty bullheaded bulldozer and wanted it my way. And I was rejected many of these things that were presented to me to get me to consider long before I ever did. And if there's one thing I've been trying to do as I taught these concepts to 18 and 19 year olds and teach it today in my office, teach it at workshops I might do, and also teaching it in the book I wrote, Ride the Elephant, Journey to True Success. I really don't want anybody to have to wait as long as I had to wait to yeah. figure it out. But I understand when they decide to resist it. I, I'm not critical of anybody resisting it at 25 and 30 and 35 and 40 and 45. I'm not mad at them that they don't take the bait and consider something different. Because how could I be mad at them? I did mm. the same thing. This was presented to me many, many times. When I look back, I rejected person after person who tried to get me to see it. I was too bullheaded, too arrogant, too prideful to get it. And I hope that you aren't that stubborn, Marissa. Oh, it's definitely not easy. I took your class 11, almost 12 years ago now. And I definitely rejected it at the beginning. I definitely was one of those students that was like, I can't stand Dr. McKinley. I, <laughs> I can't believe <laughs> I can't believe that he has the audacity to say this about us. I can't believe that he's so prideful to act this way. And I was very resistant to the material for the whole first semester of the class. And then the second semester, it was almost like a light bulb turned on and like, I get it. And I think for me, it was a big factor of faith. And that was the year that faith became really important to who I was. And I took that on for myself. It was no longer what I was told by my parents or what I was told by my teachers or be told by my pastors. But it was something that I decided for myself. And as I developed in that and learned more about that, I was able to see how these character traits really were not antithetical to that, but were complementary and went along together. And I've definitely struggled in the last 12 years of continuing to grow, but I'm very thankful for the class that you taught. And I'm thankful for the material that you wrote 
in Ride the Elephant, and I'm thankful for these podcasts. And I no longer hate you. <laughs> I, we now work together. I I we get I along. Gonna, I thought I had to talk to my editor <laughs> and have her edit that section out. No, now you're a mentor in my life, and I'm grateful for you and your family. I appreciate that, and thank you so much for that. Hopefully, together, we can help other people experience the same benefits you've experienced and that I have experienced by recognizing these idiosyncrasies, these flaws that we have that really were not helping us get along in our life and helping us enjoy life, feel grateful about life, and allowed us to be humble. Because when your life is based in fear, it's very difficult to be humble. Yes. And we find ourselves finding other ways to mitigate our fear. And we can be very prideful about that. I know that I'm an expert in that topic. And I'm also becoming an expert in how to break that pattern. But it's not easy. Because most people don't want to hear it. Most people don't want to take that advice and take that suggestion. So one of the things that I tried to do in the book and I tried to do in the class is torment your soul enough that you had to look at the question that you weren't looking at. And I found ways to ask it that really got you ticked off and really upset you. It was my goal to have you guys walk out of the class mad and angry about something I said because then I got you to start thinking about it. And you were no longer just buying into the dogma of what everyone else was telling you. As you said earlier, it wasn't something that everyone else had to tell you. It was something you had to find on your own. You had to go through that personal journey. And that's why I call it the journey to true success, because it is a journey. It's not something that you're going to pick up just by reading one book and then saying, okay, I got it. No, it's going to be looking at those continuums of each dichotomy and moving from the left side or the red side to the right side or the blue side how you want to see it or imagine it in your mind. But it's important to make that shift. And this is living an inspired life, is to move in that continuum. I like that your book is Ride the Elephant and has the elephant theme because there's that saying, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And this transformation of character is a huge elephant. And it can be intimidating and scary. But if you just take those little bites, those little baby steps in growth, it is a lifetime journey. It's not just an overnight transformation. But if you are diligent to continue, you will be able to have that true success that you talk about. Well, I think that's true. And... Think about this, Marissa. Think of the gift that you give away when you take on that mantle of transition. Who are you now sharing that with? Are you sharing that with your friend, your spouse, your child, your student? When you start sharing those experiences and you can bring about a transformation, a transition, and an orientation, I guess, to your children about how important it is to recognize that we all have a tendency to fall on the left side of this continuum. And we have to purposely put intention on shifting to the right side. 
because we aren't really born with the right sight in our heart. In fact, many people would say that we're born sinners. We're born with that devilish side of us, that negative side of us, the red side of the dichotomy, where we're self-centered. We're, all we do is care about ourselves. You know, we want it our way. And we become arrogant and we become prideful. And to make those shifts with purposeful intention is key. And when you can help other people make that shift and find mm-hmm. a way to do that, it's awesome. Yeah. And I've watched you do that with people in your life. You and I have had a great relationship over the years. You make me stronger. You make me more convicted. You make me more committed to being more on the right side. Or I want to move up the continuum on the right side in your presence because of who you are. Thank you. And I think when you can have those kinds of relationships in your life, we're all better for it. Everyone in the relationship is better for it. So I would encourage you to continue that. I would encourage all the readers or listeners to start eating this elephant, as Marissa said, (laughs) one bite at a time. And it is a process to moving forward. Any final words, Marissa, before we close? Just thank you. You're welcome. And thank you, everyone else, for joining us today. And join us next week for Ride the Elephant Today. Have a great week. Dr. Ray McKinley is a speaker, author, and coach. In his new book, Ride the Elephant, The Journey to True Success, Dr. McKinley addresses the crisis in personal leadership and what you can do about it. Thank you for joining us today. Your feedback is important to us, and we'd like to hear from you. Email your comments and questions to ray at raymckinley.com. Join us next week for another informative podcast with Dr. Ray McKinley. Have a great week.